Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in June I began a new sermon series at Redeemer. It's not a series where we sequentially make our way through a book of the Bible. Instead, it's more of a topical sermon series. I wanted to focus on how the Lord revealed himself personally in special ways to various saints in the Old and New Testament. Often this happened at pivotal pivotal points in time in the lives of his people. You might ask, why focus a series on the personal encounters people had with God? Well, there's two main reasons for doing so. The first is that many of these saints were confronted with hardships, with struggles and challenges. God appeared to give encouragement, support, and direction to his people. We see that the Lord our God is intimately involved in the lives of his people and that he ministers to them. But even more important, each of these encounters tells us something about God. In caring for his people, he reveals much about himself. Our primary goal in this series of sermons is to better learn to know our God. As we go through sermons on the personal encounters various people had with God, we need to remember that they lived in a different time than we do. The saints of the Old and New Covenant lived in a time when God had not yet fully revealed himself to his people. The fact that they experienced personal revelations from God should not make us seek the same. We live in the last days. Jesus Christ has come in fulfillment of prophecy. The Spirit has been poured out on the church and lives in us as God's children. We have God's complete revelation in the Bible. It contains all we need to know for our salvation. It's through what God records about himself in Scripture that we come to know him. Our text this morning deals with one of the Lord's revelations to Abram. Through Abram, the Lord was making a new beginning with mankind after the events at the Tower of Babel. The Lord had established a covenant, a personal relationship with Abram. God had promised to make him into a great nation, to give him the land of Canaan as his own possession. He had said that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. While Abram believed God's promises, he struggled to see how they would be fulfilled. In our text, the Lord appears to Abram to assure him of his faithfulness. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Lord confirms his promises to Abram in a special way to prove that he is our trustworthy God. We'll consider Abram's struggle to be sure that God's promises were for him and the Lord's sign to confirm that he is trustworthy. Genesis 15 begins with the Lord appearing to Abram in a vision. He said to Abram, Fear not, Abram. Why does the Lord speak these words to Abram? What was he afraid of? 
To understand these words, you need to know something about Abram and his circumstances. The Lord first appeared to him in Genesis 12. The Lord told him to get out of the country where he was living. He told Abram to leave behind all his relatives, even his parents. He said, go to the land that I will show you. God commanded Abram to leave behind the riches and the settled life that Ur of the Chaldeans offered. He told him to leave his family behind, to depart from all that was familiar in his life. He commanded him to go to a country that he would show him. Genesis 12, verse 4 says that Abram went as the Lord told him. Hebrews 11 tells us, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. He simply trusted that the Lord was leading his life, that as long as he obeyed, all would turn out fine. In Genesis 13, when Abram had settled in Canaan, the Lord told him to look throughout the land and promise to give it to him and his offspring forever. In Genesis 15, the Lord assures Abram of his promises in a vision. He says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Although Abram had just come back from rescuing Lot out of the hands of four kings that had captured him, he and his household were small in comparison to the surrounding nations. Yet the Lord reaffirmed he would be with Abram and protect him from harm. The Lord also promised him, Your reward shall be very great. Abram has questions about this. God had promised to make him into a great nation. But to do that, God would have to give him a son. His wife, Sarah, was barren. We learned of that already in Genesis 11. By the time when Abram first left Haran, he was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old. And by now, they were even older. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. The Lord had promised to make Abram into a great nation, but his problem was he did not even have a son. At that point in time, his servant Eliezer was his heir. He was the one who would inherit all Abram had when he died. In his vision, the Lord told Abram to look toward heaven, to number the stars if he were able to do so. And the Lord promised, so shall your offspring be. Abram responds in faith. Genesis 15, verse 6 says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram's vision continued with the Lord reaffirming his promise that Abram will possess the land of Canaan. Although Abram believed, he did not understand how God would fulfill his promise. Although God's promises were wonderful, Abram hadn't experienced much fulfillment of these promises. He still didn't have a son. He didn't own even the smallest portion of land in Canaan. 
There was this huge gap between what God had promised and what Abraham had received. So he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess all this? What Abraham was asking was, how can I be sure that all your promises will come true? It's not only Abram that struggled with that question. At times in our lives, we all do. As we're growing up, we have dreams and aspirations about how our life will turn out. We may picture ourselves in a certain job or career. We think about meeting someone special and getting married. We dream about having kids and buying our own home. We imagine having a happy life lived under God's rich blessings. But life doesn't always turn out the way we expected it to. We may get stuck doing a job we don't really enjoy. Raising kids is hard work that often exhausts us. We may face struggles in our relationships. Perhaps our marriage even ends in separation or divorce. We may be drowning in debt. We face struggles in our mental health. Accidents happen. Cancer diagnoses stun us. Death takes away loved ones. Life circumstances can overwhelm us. And then, like Abram, we have questions. The Bible teaches us that God is good. It says that God loves his children. It teaches that he is all-powerful. He's in control of everything that happens in this world. But there's times in life when, it, when we can begin to doubt God and his love and care over us. You know why that is? Because it seems like there's this huge gap between God's promises and the reality that faces us in our daily lives. It can seem like God is not living up to his promises, not living up to what we expected from him. In such circumstances, we're easily tempted to rebel. If God won't give me what I think I deserve, I'm just going to take it for myself. I'll do what I want to squeeze a bit of happiness out of life. We justify our sins by making excuses. I deserve some satisfaction in life. God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And so we allow life circumstances to master us. Abram didn't do that. He didn't allow life to push him around. He mastered life. How did he do that? He believed the Lord. He trusted God's promises, and he based his life on them. When he was struggling, Abram did not rebel. He talked to God. He brought his struggles and his doubts to the Lord. 
He asked God how he could be sure that God's promises would come true. Beloved, we know that when we talk to God, he hears our cries and our petitions. God loves to hear from us when we're struggling. He has commanded us to call on him in the day of trouble and promise that he will deliver us. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It's only when we come to God and seek answers from Him that we learn to trust in His faithfulness. It brings us to our second point, and we'll consider the Lord's sign to confirm that He is trustworthy. Abram asked God, how can I know your promises are true and that they will be fulfilled in my life? That you will give me a son, that I will inherit the land of Canaan, that all the families of the earth will be blessed through me? The Lord responded by giving Abram a sign. He told Abram to bring him a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. We ask, what's going on here? We don't really understand what's happening in our text. But Abram knew. Abram brought the specified animals. He cut them in half. He made a pathway between the carcasses of the animals and the birds. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. To understand what's happening, we need to ask, how did people make contracts in those days. And how do we do that today? Well, when you buy a house, you need to sign a purchase agreement and a mortgage loan agreement. When you get married, you sign the registration of marriage to confirm that you will keep the vows that you've just made. It's our signature on a piece of paper through which we confirm our promises. In our culture, there are consequences if you sign and then break your word. If you sign promising to pay your mortgage but don't make the payments, the bank can foreclose on you and they can take your house. If you break your marriage vows, your partner can demand financial compensation from you. In ancient times, they did not live in a written culture but in a storytelling culture. In Abram's day, people had a much richer, a much more meaningful way of entering into a binding agreement. They had a ceremony in which they cut animals in half, and one or both of the parties passed through the bloody pathway formed by the halves of the animals and the birds. And so they acted out what would happen to anyone who did not keep his promises. The point of the ceremony was that if you reneged on fulfilling your promises, you would be put to death, just like the animals that had been cut in half. What we see happening in our text is that the Lord is making a covenant with Abram. A covenant is the establishment, or it's the confirmation of a relationship between two parties. When the Bible speaks of the Lord making a covenant, it always uses the language of Cutting a covenant. 
There's an example of this in Jeremiah 34, verse 18. The Lord says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf they cut in two and passed between the parts. The Lord says that he would give these covenant breakers over to the hands of their enemies, that their dead bodies would be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Our text continues by stating that as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. It appears that once more the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. Again, Abram receives further revelation from God. The Lord spoke dark things about what would happen to his offspring. The Lord said, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. The Lord foretold how the Israelites would be slaves in Egypt, but how he would bring them out with great possessions. The Lord promised to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Yet the Lord did not only make this promise verbally, he confirmed it through this covenant ceremony. Now normally in ancient times when you cut a covenant, the dominant or the stronger party to the covenant would require the weaker party to pass between the cut-up animals. The stronger party might also pass between them, but in many cases he would not. Realistically, the stronger party was the one who had the power to impose the death sentence on the weaker party for breaking the covenant. In our text, it appears that Abram has awoken from his deep sleep. Our text says that when the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of animals that had been cut in half. The smoking firepot and the flaming torch symbolize God. God is often symbolized by fire and smoke in the Bible. When God came down on Mount Sinai, it was wrapped up in smoke because God descended on it in fire. When God led his people through the wilderness, it was by a pillar of fire at night. And so it was the Lord who walked between those cut-up animals. With this vivid symbol, the Lord affirmed to Abram that he was committed to keeping the promises he had made to him. We know from the Bible that God cannot lie. He is always faithful to his promises. But because of Abram's doubts and struggles, the Lord formally enters into a covenant agreement with him. He makes a binding contract that has the death penalty attached to it. God is saying, if I don't give you a son, or don't make you into a great nation, or allow your offspring to inherit the land of Canaan, then let me be like that cut-up heifer or goat or ram. Thus the Lord assures Abram of his gracious promises. Does this mean that Abram can now move forward and live a confident life in God's service? God assured him of the fact that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy. And that's huge. But beloved, it did not fully answer 
Abram's questions. It doesn't fully answer ours either. When we are confronted with God's absolute reliability, we often recognize that that's not really the issue. Our real problem is not that we think that God is going to break His promises. Our problem is often with ourselves. How do we know that we will stick with God? When the Lord makes a covenant, it contains two parts. The Lord says, I will be your God and you will be my people. We can accept the first part where God promises to be our God. But how do we know that we will keep being his people? We all let God down. We don't always keep our commitments. We repeatedly sin against God, doing things contrary to his commands. How do we know that God won't get sick and tired of us, of our unfaithfulness? What assurance do we have that at some point God won't write us off? In answering this question, we need to go back to that covenant-cutting ceremony. God did not require Abram to walk between the pieces of the cut-up animals. That is stunning. It's absolutely amazing. It's totally contrary to the social customs of the day. Normally, the weaker party was required to walk through. But God didn't require that of Abram. Instead, God goes through for both parties, for himself, but also for Abram. It shows God's abundant grace. Whether or not Abram walked through the cut-up animals, he would never be able to keep the terms of the covenant. He could promise to be committed to God and to serve Him, but at some point, he would disobey. When God walked through for both himself and Abram, he was saying, I will take upon myself the curse of the covenant for both of us. Abram, may I be cut off if I don't keep my part of the bargain? And may I be cut off if I don't keep your part of the bargain? I will bless you, even if it will cost me dearly to do so. We see this sign of how God is trustworthy, of how he keeps his promises. Please remember that part of the Lord's covenant with Abraham was that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That promise has a messianic aspect to it. It spoke of the coming of the Christ to save his people. So how was this covenant ceremony fulfilled in Jesus Christ? How did God prove his willingness to walk through the pieces of the cut-up animals for both himself and for Abram? Remember what the cut-up animals signified. They pointed to the fact that if one of the parties of the covenant did not live up to his obligations, he would be cut up, he would be killed, he would forfeit his life. 
Now, beloved, consider what happened to Jesus Christ. Jesus was willing to walk the pathway of suffering. He was hung on a cross for our sake. Matthew 27 tells us that at the sixth hour, darkness came upon the land. It's a symbol of God withdrawing His love and grace from our Savior. About the ninth hour, Christ called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It speaks of the punishment Christ bore to pay for our sins. In Isaiah 53, verse 8, the prophet spoke of the sufferings of the coming Messiah. He said, He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. Christ, who was God, figuratively walked between the pieces of the cut-up animals. He suffered the fate of the covenant-breaker. He was put to death as if he were the one who did not keep his covenant promises. Was Christ unfaithful? Did he break the covenant? No, not at all. Christ died for our sake because we are the ones who were unfaithful because we didn't keep our covenant with God. There is a beautiful reference to the covenant-cutting ceremony of our text in Hebrews 6, the verses 17 to 20. The writer of Hebrews says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope that set before us. God guarantees his trustworthiness with this wonderful sign of him passing through the pieces of the cut-up animals. He does this to give us a sure anchor for our souls. Beloved, do you know what an anchor is? Anchors are used when you go boating. If you want your boat to stay in the same place out on the river or lake, you throw out an anchor. The anchor drops to the bottom and its hooks prevent the boat from floating away. An anchor keeps your boat grounded. Hope in Jesus Christ is an anchor for our souls. Our hope is in a Savior who is willing to suffer the curses of breaking the covenant for us so that we might share in all God's blessings. So practically, what does all this mean for our lives? In our text, God assures us of His trustworthiness. He's a God who always keeps His promises. He's a God who went so far that He offered His dearly loved Son as a sacrifice for our sins to guarantee our salvation. When God makes promises to us, we can take Him at His word. You know what our problem is? 
Our problem is we don't always trust God's promises. We don't always hold on to the message of our text. It's what gets us into trouble. Why do you worry, beloved? Don't you trust God's wisdom and care in how he's leading your life? Why are you angry or bitter? Don't you trust God's justice that he will right all wrongs and make all things crooked straight again? Why do you hate yourself? Don't you believe in God's love and grace? Why is it that you disobey some of God's commands? Is it because you think that if you don't grab for what you want, you won't get it? Don't you trust that God's presence in your life is much more fulfilling than anything this life could offer you? Why do you struggle with a lack of self-control? Could it be that you're not focused on the hope that God has granted you as an anchor for your soul? There's much we can learn from Abram when he faced doubts and struggles in his faith. He didn't run away from God. He ran to God. He laid his fears and his struggles before the throne of grace. He asked God, how can I know that your promises to me will come true? God cut a covenant with him to assure him of his trustworthiness. And beloved, we may be even more certain of God's love and faithfulness. With Abram, God walked between the pieces of the cut-up animals as a sign of his faithfulness. But for us, we know that Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God, signified in a ceremony when hanging on the cross. In Romans 8, verse 32, Paul asks, He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God was willing to give us his only son, will he not also provide every other blessing that we need? Do you know what the greatest of these blessings is? It's not found in the things of this life. Our greatest blessing is being able to say, Lord, you are my shield, my very great reward. When we face doubts and struggles and challenges in life, our comfort and assurance is that God is our God. And we're his people in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the anchor for our souls. He grounds us. He gives us hope. Amen.